podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the creation account presented in the Bible. Primarily, the Academy offers video and audio courses with downloadable PDF workbooks taught by a team of experienced creation researchers. But members of our exclusive Creation All Access program will also have access to expert interviews and Q&A sessions with creation scientists and apologists, all inside a private Facebook group where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. We're excited to announce that enrollment is now open. The Academy does not officially launch until March 2019, but until then, you can get into Creation All Access for just $7 per month while we're adding new course material. Join today by going to www.creationcourses.com and clicking on Enroll Now. All right, thanks for joining us this morning. You're listening to The Steve Schramm Show. Good to be coming to you again, another week, another time, another place. Wherever you're listening from today, we thank you for taking the time out of your, no doubt, busy schedule just to um, listen to some good information, hopefully, we're going to give you today about the Christian worldview and how to defend it. We talk about a number of different kinds of topics on the show. The last few have been pretty creation heavy, and this one's going to have an element of that as well, but it also is going to speak a little more to the broader project of apologetics. So we want to dive right in and get to the good stuff. Again, as you just heard in the intro, the Creation Academy, we're still creating stuff for that where we've got people signing up and uh, going ahead and getting in at that $7 level. So go ahead and do that. That way you can secure that while we're adding these new courses and everything. And when the Creation Academy launches in a few months, uh, again, it's going to be a lot more expensive than that. Uh, But it'll still be affordable, of course, but it will be not $7 per month. So get in right now while you can, while we're getting those first initial courses added up into there. So you can take advantage of that. So I want to talk to you today about how to know which experts to trust. And this is an interesting and important topic because there's so many people out there who are commenting on matters of spiritual things. And you want to be careful with who you're listening to because you want to get the right amount of information. And you want to get the right, uh, I should say, you want to get the right kind of information. You want to get information that is consistent with what the Bible teaches. This is important, whether you're choosing the pastor of a church, or whether you're choosing to listen to a new podcast, whether you're choosing to read a new blog. It really doesn't matter which of those the avenue is. The point is, you want somebody who's going to be biblically consistent. And Sometimes it can be really hard to get a good grasp on what kind of philosophy the person has, what kind of theology the person has, what they believe about the scriptures and how they should be understood and how they should be interpreted. And, you know, at the same time, we kind of want to guard against the echo chamber. We want to guard against listening only to people who agree with what we believe because that is, uh, you know, borders on a sort of circular reasoning. In other words, you are, or, or a confirmation bias. You're going to somebody because you know they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And so we want to avoid those things. We ought not to be worried about the, the different kinds of th- thoughts that people have we should be open to hearing different perspectives. But whoever gives those perspectives, we must also hold them accountable. They have to have reasons for those perspectives. And so you might be wondering, well, what's in it for me? I mean, how do I know uh, if if Steve is talking to me today? Well, well, look, I'm talking to everybody. Uh, Every Christian should heed this advice. Look, you could be somebody who is fairly new to apologetics or creation or theology and you've just you've just begun to 
look deeply into spiritual matters and significant matters in your life and you're overwhelmed you know by the by the choices maybe that that are out there so if that's you i mean if and i i get it i'm there you're not alone i mean it's hard to know sometimes who to listen to now it could be that you're somebody who does have a lot more experience in listening to various kinds of teachers and maybe you just want to refine who it is who you're listening to maybe you are pressed for time and you don't have the time to listen like you used to and so you need to pare down that list a little bit and you're like oh man but everybody is you know so good i love to listen to this teacher or i love to listen to this teacher and you know who 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 on earth should i actually be listening to and there are a number of different layers to this and we're going to be discussing those today but i really want you to think about this ask yourself these kinds of these kinds of questions you know if if you're the person who reads more blogs and listens to more podcasts and watches more videos than you have time to keep up with then this podcast episode is for you if you hear conflicting advice from some of your favorite teachers and you're not sure how to process it all then this podcast is also for you what about this maybe you're confused about what actually makes someone an expert now there's a really really good question what is it that actually makes somebody an expert what kind of credentials does a person need to have in order to be worthy of my consuming their material so there's a question and how about even this if you're just starting to look deeply at your own convictions and you need to know who to trust for more accurate information then this particular podcast episode is most definitely for you. So give it a listen, and we'll see if we can't help you think through these things to understand if you're listening to the right kind of teachers now and whether or not you should pare down your list a little bit if you're listening to to maybe too many. So I don't want to go much further at all before telling you about today's lesson handout. Again, it is completely free, something that we're providing with probably most podcast episodes in 2019, kind of part of our campaign to 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 make the podcast better for this year and to make it something uh, more enjoyable, a more enjoyable experience for everybody involved. The handout today is the expert evaluation checklist the expert evaluation checklist. It's nine questions to help you know if you can trust your expert. Nine questions to help you know if you can trust your expert. And you can go through this checklist. It's broken up into the same categories that we are going to be discussing today. So look, you could pay full attention to this podcast. You might want to take notes with some of the things I say, but you don't have to. I took the notes for you, okay? I put them into this checklist and made it actionable so that you can download this and you can use it multiple times if you want to. And anytime you're trying to evaluate whether or not you should be listening to a particular teacher, just run through this list and it won't uh, give you, you know, every answer. Ultimately, this is something that's a matter of prayer. And of course, we have a robust doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We we do believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all truth, but we have to be ready to accept that truth, whatever it may be. And when we when we color what we want that truth to be with our own preconceived notions, sometimes that gets in the way, that hinders us to be able to actually understand what the Spirit wants to tell us. So here's the thing. I took the notes for you. I think this is going to be a useful checklist for you. To get it, all you have to do is go to steveshram.com slash 075 download. steveshram.com slash 075 download. And of course, I'll have the link to that right there in the show notes so that you can get to it. Now, I do want to ease one concern at least a little bit. I understand that if you've been listening this far, you might have already had this thought. The subject matter that I'm teaching today assumes that I, as I'm teaching you, am a trustworthy expert, doesn't it? The subject matter that I'm giving you today assumes that I 
am giving you accurate criteria by which you can judge whether or not somebody is trustworthy. And those of you who have been listening for a while, I mean, this is episode 75 of the podcast. We've been doing this for a little while. Uh, There are some of you who listen today who have been listening for a, a long time. And if you've been listening for a long time, perhaps I've already earned that trust. Trust is something that can be earned when you are listening to various teachers and preachers and other folks. There are reasons that one might have to trust or to distrust, and hopefully I've proven to be a trustworthy person. If you don't know me from Adam, then I understand you're in that boat. However, in that case, I would say to take one of my pieces of advice, of advice I'm going to give you in just a minute, and you know, see if what I'm saying lines up with Scripture. That's just one piece of this. But see if what I'm saying lines up with Scripture. I have tried to keep every area that we discuss today biblically motivated. And I think you'll see that in each case. And so I, I think that, there, yes, there is a degree of circular logic going on here in that you're going to be trusting me to tell you that I have thought of trustworthy criteria by which to judge other teachers. This is true. There's a bit of circular reasoning. But at the same time, it's kind of a necessary circle because if I was not uh, viewed as trustworthy, then you wouldn't be listening to the podcast. I don't think, um, you know, you would just stop listening. So anyway, here's the thing. Yes, there's a degree of circularity going on here, but I'm, I'd like to show you that it's a virtuous circle. You can test me by my own criteria and see if I hold up. And it, by the way, that is how it should be done. In Deuteronomy, I want to say it's chapter 19, the Bible actually gives falsifying criteria. It says, look, if a prophecy, if 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 one of God's prophets says that a, a, a prophecy, or he alleges to be God's prophet, and he says that a prophecy is going to come to pass, and the prophecy does not come to pass, then guess what? The prophet was not from God. So uh, the Bible gives itself its own litmus test because there are a ton of prophecies found in the pages of the Word of God, right? And so each of those, as they are fulfilled is further um, confirmation that the Bible passes its own test. And so I would think about it in those terms. Hopefully I'm going to pass my own test before you hear today. So I want you to think about that as we're looking at this subject. One more thing that needs to be addressed kind of by way of an introduction here before we really dive into the meat of this is why you should learn from anyone. So believe it or not, It does come up from time to time in conversations that there are folks who just say, well, you know, the Bible is enough. Okay, I understand what somebody means when they say that. However, reading the Bible certainly does not preclude reading reading other people's thoughts on the Bible. And by the way, when you attend church, you are listening, you're not reading, but you are listening to somebody else's thoughts on the Bible. And in much the same way as if you were reading somebody else's article or somebody else's book or whatever, you are 100% free to disagree with the person teaching. You should do your own study. Okay, it's not uh, at all a matter of what one teacher says over another being fact. However, as you study the scriptures for yourself and you come to to be convinced by one view or another, and then you hear teachers the way they articulate that, you can get a better sense for why you hold that view. A lot of times when you hear 
teachers articulate a view that you don't currently hold, it actually helps you to get a better sense of why you disagree with that view. And therefore, you're able to talk about it more intelligently whenever folks want to have a conversation and maybe they bring that issue up. You will be able to use better language to express that disagreement. So there is an argument I think that could be made to if you're well-grounded, spend time reading those who openly disagree. You know, this is like, you know, should I read after atheists? Well, you know, most most Christians probably are not reading overtly atheistic material. But the Christian who is really interested in articulating a defense for his worldview might become someone who consumes lots of atheist material so that he can learn how to show up in those conversations in a meaningful way. So yes, it's okay to read things or to hear things from other teachers that it's not coming directly from the Bible. And I did jot down three quick reasons why I think it's good to have some people that you learn from on a regular basis as a regular part of your spiritual diet. Reason number one is that God raises up spiritual leaders and teachers, and he holds them accountable. He holds them accountable. The Bible says that the greater, uh, I forget the exact phraseology is used, might be the, the greater condemnation. Uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But the Bible definitely teaches that those who teach others are going to be accountable for that. They're going to be held very highly accountable for the way that they have taught and they have promoted their particular views on spiritual things. It matters, okay? Teachers matter. So God's going to hold them accountable. But notice that that does not stop God from raising them up. God does raise up spiritual leaders and teachers. Any cursory read-through of the Bible is going to make that apparent. It's obvious that God does not limit his um, revelation to the special revelation received in the Word of God in one sense. It is true that God raises up spiritual leaders and people that can help articulate our understanding of Scripture. In the same way that those you know, people are creatures, the creation, which in Greek a lot of times the same word is used to translate versus creature or creation, depending on the context of the New Testament, but the actual physical creation, the natural world, can be used to enhance our understanding of, um, of God's revelation. Now, never to change the meaning of it, I can res- uh, uh, link you to a episode that we recorded on that recently, dealing with science and its relationship to the Bible, but always the creatures of God or the creation of God can be used to enhance our understanding of the scriptures in a, what I call in that podcast episode, a ministerial way. So we always can learn something from those who God raises up. Okay, and then the second reason is When someone writes a book, and this is very specific here, we're talking about a book rather than a a podcast or a sermon or something like that, but particularly when someone writes a book, the average study shows that the material reflects about five years worth of knowledge. That's this the average. The average book displays, the average nonfiction book, uh, gives off uh, about right, you know, represents about five years worth of knowledge and study on the part of the author. So it might take you a week to read a book. I don't know how long it takes you. It might take you uh, a month to read a book, but it's not going to take you five years in most cases. And so you have from that the ability to glean 
information from people who are considered experts and authority in in their fields who may have taken much longer than five years, but on average are getting about five years worth of in-depth study and knowledge from the work that someone had to do in order to be able to articulate it the way that they have in that particular book. So this is a really good reason, I think, that you should learn from other people, specifically with respect to reading. And then the third reason, and this is a bit more philosophical, but it's still true, knowledge is communicated by the words of careful, reflective thinkers. Let me just say that one more time. Knowledge is communicated by the words of careful, reflective thinkers. This is kind of a, you know, um, addition to our first point. God raises up spiritual leaders and he holds them accountable. But one reason why he does this is because knowledge is communicated to us, oftentimes through the words of other people who have gone before and have carefully and reflectively thought about these issues. A lot of us take church history for granted, And I say us very emphatically there because I just have to freely admit, I I really uh, have trouble with history. I I don't, I I appreciate history, but I just frankly don't enjoy it. I don't, I don't enjoy reading about the things of the past and etc. I don't know why particularly that is. I mean, I, um, I, I have a, passion for technology and for things like that. And so I tend to be future focused for whatever reason. I just don't really enjoy reading history. At the same time, I appreciate the rich history. And many of us take for granted that some of the views that we hold today were greatly disputed and fought for. Many even died for down throughout the years, over centuries, some of these battles were fought to make sure that we were correctly articulating ideas in the scripture, whether it be with respect to baptism, whatever whatever your views are on that. Different people have different views on baptism and what, you know, and many people died actually for their for their beliefs on in baptism uh, and are things like articulating the Trinity well you know our understanding of the Trinity our understanding of the Canon of Scripture I mean these were all things you know what what thing what is scripture what isn't you know these are all very important questions that careful reflective thinkers wrestled with for centuries that many of us aren't even aware of we take them for granted today but and we see them when we read the Bible today, we're like, oh yes, this makes sense. But it wasn't always so evident to people. They had to actually think through it and uh, really get down to the bottom of this in the early church. And so even though I am not the biggest history buff, I do think we need to understand that knowledge is often communicated to us by the words, whether written or spoken, of careful, reflective thinkers. So these are three reasons why I think it's very important to make it a practice to learn from other people who you would put in that careful, reflective thinking category. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to look at four different considerations that should be made when you are finding new teachers, new experts, so to say, and we can see whether or not we should trust them. So we have four areas that we're going to speak to, and those four areas comprise nine total questions. And again, don't forget to get the handout so you can go through this yourself and treat this as an exercise. So it's the evaluation checklist, the expert evaluation checklist. It's going to take you right through these nine questions and these four categories and really help you get to the bottom of this issue on different people that you listen to. Okay, so let's dive right in. The first thing that we want to do is consider their authority. Consider their authority. And so this is one of the questions that I want to propose to you. Is there authority, science, and philosophy, or is it the Bible? 
Is it science and philosophy or is it the Bible? All right, now now stay with me, okay? Stay with me. I do not, hopefully, if you've spent any time engaging with the material that I put into this podcast or that I put on my blog or that I do, you know, videos on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever, if you have been engaging with my content at any period of time, you know that I value and love science and philosophy. I'm very much a novice at both of those things, I, but I read about them voraciously. I study them voraciously. I, I can only do so much, but with the time that I do have, I try to maximize my study. I love science and philosophy. One of my favorite things is the philosophy of science, understanding how science works and how, how science especially should relate into the scriptures and etc. I love this, but they're not the Bible. The scientific method is a method that, yes, was developed by theists that is based in the reality of a uniform and orderly universe, something that is only possible, indeed, on a Christian worldview, and I have argued that. But the scientific method is not aimed directly at discovering truth. Let me say that again. The scientific method, though reliable, is not aimed at directly discovering truth. In fact, the scientific method can only ever prove what is not the case. The reason is because when we perform the scientific method, there is no way to do the scientific method on something and determine that it is 100% true. You can't deduce that because you're not aware of every available barrier. There are things that you may not know that could contribute later on to a further understanding. But the scientific method certainly can rule out options that are no longer tenable. And of course, as technology improves, etc., there are other factors that go into it. But the scientific method is not aimed at truth, okay? Science as a whole is not aimed at truth. Read any philosopher of science, you know, I mean, I wouldn't read the New Atheists on this, um, but generally speaking, anybody who is really informed in the project of epistemology or the project of uh, the philosophy of science should understand that science is not geared directly at truth. It can certainly help us to discover the truth by eliminating what is not true, but it can never prove definitively what is true. On the same token, scripture, or on the opposite token, I should say, scripture is fundamentally aimed at truth. The purpose of Scripture is to reveal truth to the children of God of all generations. And of course, that revelation came in different ways prior to have a, completing, a, a completed Bible, but you understand the point I'm getting at here. The Word of God, strictly speaking, is for the people of God. It is God's special revelation. And you better believe it is aimed at truth. This is why many people, myself included, hold so high uh, a carefully defined and important definition of the inerrancy of the Bible. And, of course, also the infallibility of the Bible. We understand that these things are very, very important. And we believe there's good scriptural justification for believing those things. The Bible, therefore, is aimed at truth. Science is not. Now, that doesn't mean science is bad. I love science. Science is very helpful but it's not aimed at truth, like scripture is. And listen, the same goes for philosophy. In fact, science used to be called natural philosophy. Of course, with philosophy, we're not talking about the scientific method, so to speak. 
But the Apostle Paul did warn that there were going to be those who come spouting vain philosophy. Bad philosophy leads to wrong conclusions all the time. Bad philosophy leads to wrong conclusions conclusions. And philosophy is important. It helps us think through careful things. It helps us to understand uh, logic. It helps us to understand why things either could or could not be the way they are, because it tells us a little something about reality. Nevertheless, we believe that scripture is going to be in accord with these things. Scripture is not going to disagree with with these things when properly understood. Now, we understand, of course, that there are different, you know, opinions on some things that are very important. I mean, there are different opinions on how the universe was created. And, of course, this difference spans atheism and Christianity and all these different you know, world religions, but it's also different even within Christianity. And you know, we just got talking last week about a little bit about the Big Bang, and I I think the Big Bang is an excellent ap- apologetics tool insofar as it's pressed into service for the right reasons and in a, a very careful way. But I think it's wrong, so I'm I'm not going to teach the Big Bang, and I'm not going to pretend to teach the Big Bang, and I'm not going to pretend to teach that it's consistent with Scripture simply because I don't feel that it is. Hopefully that makes a little sense to you. And so these things are certainly not the Bible, even though they are good. So that's the first question. Is it science and philosophy, or is it the the Bible? Do we find that one is always reinterpreting their understanding of Scripture because some new scientific discovery just happened or because they're being, you know, more philosophically driven to accept views that are contrary to an orthodox understanding of scripture and so start to veer off into heterodoxy or worse into heresy because of these outside ideas. Again, we're to avoid vain philosophy. Not all philosophy, but all philosophy, but 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 vain vain philosophy. Certainly we are to avoid. And we need to be careful that we're not allowing these things to influence our understanding of scripture. And we want to be sure that we're listening to teachers who are not being influenced in that same way. Okay, another related aspect to that is do they give scriptural support when they teach? Look at if you listen to a teacher and they say, "Open your Bible here," and they read the verse, and then they veer off into something completely unrelated, then they're probably not actually giving scriptural support for what they teach. It just kind of seems like they are. So be careful about that. Be sure that somebody can point to scripture when they teach you something. And say, look, this is what thus saith the Lord. Now, I realize that there are times when you're being taught something by Christian teachers that doesn't have a direct scriptural application. And that happens a lot on this podcast. We talk about things that scripture doesn't necessarily speak to. However, we realize that it might, in the broader context, be affected by how we understand scripture. And we never want the little minute details to influence how we read scripture insofar as we have to change the words. We understand an ancient text based on the way the words of the ancient text read, and we start our investigation from that point. And one of the classic ways I can think of characterizing this is what we see in the incident of Paul and Silas when they are in Berea. Let me read Acts 17, verses 10 and 11 to you. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas, they were in Thessalonica, by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
These were more noble than in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So notice the very important point here. When Paul and Silas showed up claiming to be teaching things in the name of God, the Bereans were held in high esteem because of their insistence on searching out the scriptures to make sure the things that Paul and Silas were saying were actually true. So this is the point that I was making in the beginning. There is certainly justification for listening to teachers who are going to help you articulate what you believe, who are going to help you to understand views that you don't believe. But whatever the case may be, as, as far as accepting the truth that may be found in what their teaching goes, if it is inconsistent with Scripture, then be careful when you're listening to them. Listen to them and understand, look, this is not consistent with Scripture, but this is maybe helping me to learn about why it's inconsistent. Now, you're going to have to kind of self-regulate here a little bit and do this very prayerfully. If you're a brand new Christian, I wouldn't recommend people who are teaching, who are saying things, you know, radically other than what you can plainly see for yourself in the Bible. Because you don't know how to process that yet. You're not ready to start defending the faith yet. You need to understand the faith and learn the faith. So if that's you, that might be the kind of demeanor you take to it. You just stop listening to them. Now, if you're somebody more advanced, you're a Christian who's a bit further along in your walk and you're able to discern the difference, then you take everything they say with a grain of salt. Or you stop listening to them. But if you want to learn how to articulate your area of disagreement with them in case you run into somebody else who seems to believe that same way and you would like to scripturally instruct them in a brotherly or sisterly way about why you think their view is wrong and it would help you to learn more, then you can keep listening with a grain of salt. But that's how I would think about it. Do they give scriptural support or do they just kind of give it their own thing? Do they do they do they do their own thing? Do they say, I know the scripture says this, but I think this. When that happens, either run or just be very, very careful. So that's the first one we needed to go through. Consider their authority. Okay, the second one is this. Consider their aversion. Consider their aversion. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here, but here's what I mean by that. Are they fair-minded or do they have insatiable hobby horses? Are they fair-minded or do they have insatiable hobby horses? In other words, by aversion, what is meant there is something that somebody does not like. If you have a strong distaste for something. There are people, especially spiritual teachers and leaders, who tend to have a distaste for things and they want everybody to know it. I mean, everybody else has to know about how strongly they dislike this one particular thing. And it seems like you're just week in and week out, or however long it is that you engage with these people's, you know, material, you just see it over and over again. And it's like, it's like they never talk about anything else. Now, I understand there are people who are specialists in certain areas. I get that. I also understand that as cultural mores and tides shift a little bit, Teachers are going to be spending more time on some topics than others, not because they are a hobby horse, but simply because they recur. They happen over and over and over again. New incidents come out. You know, uh, the transgenderism is something that is a huge topic for today. A lot of people have made it a hobby horse. And look at the news. It's, it's no surprise why. This is something that keeps getting returned Two, because the news is egging it on. They keep putting 10-year-old kids who are being absolutely victimized by their parents and by other people who are making them sexual 
objects and sexualizing kids in our nation. Yes, this is a big deal. And so people are going to be talking about it a lot. And so you have to take those things into account. But that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who just never let off of the one thing that seems to annoy them. And you know what I'm talking about here. I'm not even going to try to give examples because I don't want to make anybody mad. But each of you, I'm sure out there, you can think of that one thing that you hear somebody talk about just over and over and over again in a negative, derogatory way. And it's not always bad, but a lot of times you just have to teach in a more well-rounded way. So just just consider their version. Can somebody approach something fair-minded? I'm going to give a shout out because I, I just really appreciate her. I love listening to Allie Stuckey. She was with CRTV and they just merged with Blaze TV. And so they are together now. She has a podcast called Relatable that she puts out two times a week. And she, of course, is a conservative political commentator. So it, you could argue that she's got a hobby horse against Democrats, but I don't think it's that way. And the reason I don't think it's that way is number one, we have to realize that it is her job to comment conservatively, to comment on conservatism, which is her position based on arguments from politics and from, you know, the Bible, especially. She's a Christian. But I don't think it's an insatiable hobby horse. And I get that because she's fair minded. She always gives the other side a fair hearing, and she's quick to criticize our side when we are clearly the ones in the wrong. And I say we with a very broad brush, but I'm talking about those, I would say most people who listen to this podcast are probably politically conservative. You don't have to necessarily share all the same views I do, but I would say that you are politically conservative, likely, if you listen to this podcast. And guess what? We are not always right. Everything that Donald Trump says and does is not always right. Everything that I say and do is not always right. It doesn't matter if I'm the president or if I'm just me or if you're you. We all do things that are not always right. And every now and then, we even do something that is inconsistent with the values that we promote. That's called hypocrisy. And you know what? It's real. It's real. We are the biggest hypocrites ever. And this is why Jesus had to come to die, to redeem sinful hypocritical people like us. We realize that we are the recipients of a marvelous, wonderful, matchless grace today. And this is just one reason. We try not to be, we guard against this, but the only way to guard against it is to be fair-minded. And so that's something I appreciate about Allie. I like to listen to her. I don't listen to a lot of political commentators because they have hobby horses. They're not fair-minded. Everything conservatives say is good, and everything Democrats say is bad. And I'm sorry. I I hope I'm not making anybody mad. I don't like politics. I hate talking about politics. But I just want to say that I don't subscribe to that. I don't look at it as one side's right and one side is wrong. I look at the issues, I look at the arguments, I look at the people involved in a fair-minded way and say, okay, based on what we know about reality, based on what we know about the Bible, what is it that makes the most sense? Who's in the right and who's in the wrong? And that's how we go about. Of course, I am politically conservative, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. Are they fair-minded or do they have insatiable hobby horses. If the person that you are attempting to listen to, if you find that they have just got an insatiable hobby horse, they by insatiable, I mean they can never get filled. They can never stop talking about it. If you find that person, you might want to consider whether or not they are well-rounded and fair-minded on the issue. Again, just a consideration. You don't have to even take that into account if you don't want to. If that doesn't matter to you, fine. But I think it's an important criteria that somebody be able to articulate both how they believe and how others believe if they're going to be commenting on the issues. Folks ought to be fair-minded. Okay, moving on real quick to the next one. Consider not only their authority and their aversion, but consider their answer. Consider their answer. Now, I've divided this further into three categories, and I think it builds nicely off of what we just talked about. First of all, we want to consider their tone. Is their tone gracious? 
Can they disagree graciously? Can they deal with the issues and the facts at hand? And can they do it graciously? Consider their answer. Consider their answer in their tone. Is it gracious? Is it life-giving? Is it something that we would expect and that we would desire to see from a person who claims to be a child of Christ? Now, we all mess up. I get that. But generally speaking, does the person have a belligerent tone or, or are they patient? Are they kind? Do they display those fruits of the Spirit? That is an important question. The next one is teaching. Is their teaching productive and faith building? And again, this all kind of ties into that same kind of idea. When they teach, are they more concerned about what they do believe or what they don't believe? Almost nothing drives me battier. And I've been in numerous churches, so I could say this. I'm not talking about the church I attend now or really about the church that uh, any church I've ever attended. I'm not talking about that. I have. I used to play bluegrass gospel full-time. It's, I've been in a number of churches. And I just want to say this. Nothing drives me battier when listening to a preacher preach about the people that aren't there to the people that are. That just drives me batty. Teach the Bible. Teach something that will be productive and that will enhance my walk with Christ. Teach something to me that is productive and faith-building and faith-affirming. Teach me why it's going to be okay. Just teach me. Don't tear others down. So I think that's important. And by the way, it's not just preachers. It's it's podcasts. It's bloggers. It's all of the above. People who are creating videos. Um, is their teaching productive? Does it does it teach you something informative, or is it you know just three points in a cloud of dust kind of thing to get everybody out the door to Hardee's? You know, is it that kind of a thing, or is it is it productive and is it faith building? If the person's teaching is gracious and productive and faith building, then you're doing good. We're we're almost we've almost worked our way to a check mark for this particular category. The final one is thought. Can they explain their view rationally, and and I put this very specifically, and void of logical fallacies? Can they explain their view rationally and void of logical fallacies? I'm going to quote my buddy uh, Tim Stratton, who I've talked with quite a bit um, on the internet and different things. He writes over at freethinkingministries.com and whatever your views on, on, on him and, and, and their project over there, uh, Tim's a good guy and I, I do appreciate him. And he says this all the time and I love it. Any argument that's based on a logical fallacy is no argument at all. Any argument based on a logical fallacy is no argument at all. So I don't expect everybody to be experts at logic. I am not an expert at logic. I, I uh, The more I learn, the more I also learn about how little I know. And I think you'll find that to be true. But nevertheless, we can have a basic understanding, and I will link to this in the show notes, um, that I actually did a post, or rather a podcast not too long ago that was a series on logical fallacies to help you be able to work through an argument. So that's the thought aspect of this. Is their tone gracious? Is their teaching productive and faith building? And have they thought, have they displayed that they have clearly thought through the issues? Can they explain and articulate their view rationally? and void of logical fallacies. Do they create tons of logical fallacies when they're making their arguments? Because that is a sure sign that you should really consider whether or not they are an expert that is to be trusted. And then finally, consider their academics. Consider their academics. Now, we have to be careful with this one. Because so many times, and I'm telling you, I mean, this just happened to me uh, the other day in a conversation. So many times, people that you talk to 
want to shut the conversation down because they have credentials that you don't have or they don't think that you are allowed to have an opinion on something if you are not credentialed in a particular field. We worship these days the almighty PhD. I mean, we just worship it. We just, no matter what we say, we always, and I, I'm guilty of this, okay? I do it too. We we want to make sure that whatever we're saying is backed up by somebody with the most letters after their name. Uh, and look, I, I appreciate those letters. I hope to have a good number of them behind mine one day. I don't know if I will, but I hope to. Uh, and I pray that that is the case for me. I would love to be able to say that I've got these these things that demonstrate that I've consistently been able to learn and gain this experience and this knowledge. I would love that and I value that and I value other people having it. But let's be careful not to idolize this. So when I say consider their academics, I am not necessarily talking about whether or not they have a PhD or a master's degree or whatever. If that's the case, great. That certainly helps. But I cannot tell you the list, I mean, it would just be staggering. The list of people with letters after their name that I disagree with because I think they're wrong. And I don't think they're wrong based on their education or my lack thereof or whatever it may be. I think they're wrong on the merits of the claims that they made. I think they're badly argued. That's why. Okay? And so we have to remember that we're not judging somebody. Yes, of of course, it helps to have these academics and to have consistently demonstrated a, a knowledge in a particular field. This is a good thing, but let's not worship it. So when I say academics, I'm not necessarily talking about that, even though I could be. I'm talking about three things, three more questions that you need to ask when you're thinking about if you should trust this particular expert. Here it is. Number one, are they willing to admit when they're wrong. Can I get an amen? I mean, I, are they willing to admit when they're wrong? Or, or do they just backpedal and, you know, just create excuse after excuse after excuse to try to argue their view even after they've been shown wrong? Are, are, they, just, are they just willing to admit when they're wrong, or they just have to be right. By the way, I didn't write this down. This is not one of the questions. It's not here. It's not on the checklist. I didn't write it down. But it is related, so I'm just going to mention it on the fly here. Are they willing to admit when they don't know? Are they willing to admit when they don't know? The other day, I wrote a Facebook post on that, and it was just a short, simple thing. But it's really true, I think. You'd be surprised how much more respect you earn from people when you're willing to admit that you don't have the answer and that you will investigate it and you'll get back to them. I mean, honest to goodness, you do not have to pretend to know it all. People, most of the time, can see right through that and they do not appreciate it. So that's just an advice, uh, a personal bit of advice. But as you're considering these experts, are they willing to admit when they're wrong? And are they willing to say, wait a minute, I don't know about that right now. I'm sure we'll know in the future, but let me think about it or let me look at it. I don't have my thoughts worked out on that yet. This kind of thing goes a long way with people who are already skeptical of whether or not you are correct in what you're teaching. So I think it's a good question to ask. Okay, secondly, do they subject themselves to admonishment, peer review, etc.? And the third question is a bit different, but it's related enough that I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. And so you'll want to consider these in turn, but they they do have some overlap. Have they got a team of experienced people checking and improving their work? So do they subject themselves to admonishment or peer review? Do other people, you know, help them with their views? Do they have people who work with them and improve their work? or people who help to create the work that goes out in their ministry or whatever it may have you. For example, Ken Ham, I think, has a bachelor's degree in biology, I think. But, you know, by himself, I mean, Ken Ham knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. 
Ken Ham knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. And there are areas that he's, frankly, weak in. And I'm not saying that in a, in a, in a bad way. I think he would 100% admit this. There are things that he doesn't know a lot about. However, he employs a staff of scientists and researchers and theologians and people who do have very, very specialized training in their individual areas. That doesn't mean we have to agree with them all the time. I don't agree with everything Andrews and Genesis puts out, but that's fine. I don't, you know, I don't look at organizations as much as I look at individual researchers. But the point I want to make is a lot of times the information that comes out from Andrews and Genesis has been checked by people who have their particular views worked out after lots of careful study in different specialized fields. Another example I might give is my own, the Creation Academy that I'm building. Yes, I'm going to be one of the the teachers on there, but I'm also going to have some other teachers. I'm going to have three or four others, hopefully out of the get-go, uh, right out of the gate, who are teaching alongside of me in their respective fields. And they also have knowledge in the kinds of things that I'm going to be working on. So we can check each other's work. We, yes, we come to the table with a similar philosophy that has already been worked out, for instance, of how to understand the Bible and science and the relationship between the two. Yes, we we share that underlying philosophy. But at the same time, within that, there is certainly room for error. And so there is room for error to thus be corrected. And so we want to make sure that we're subjecting ourselves to the opinions of others. I'm not going to name names, but I'm thinking right now of one or two researchers in the creation science enterprise who never subject themselves to this. They never subject themselves to the peer review or to the admonishment of others. They don't surround themselves with a team of, of experts who could help to make their ideas better and biblically better and scientifically better, etc. So these people just aren't around. And uh, so this happens. And so we want to avoid that. I wouldn't expect somebody to listen to me if they couldn't be reasonably sure that I had this kind of thing going on. I have conversations with people all of the time who either challenge my view on something or they help me to understand something about it that maybe it, it, it didn't seem as significant before and now it's more significant. I have some relationships with people who we talk often over email, over Facebook Messenger or whatever it is and we bounce ideas back and forth sometimes for new podcast episodes and things. We'll talk about some of the nuances that maybe I need to be aware of from a scientific perspective and by the way that's something that I intend to do even more of this year. I tend to get more, imp or, or I will, um, I, I plan, I intend to get more input even before putting together podcast episodes than I get right now. So I'm, this is something I'm working on myself. Another way to guard against that is to read widely. And so if the person talks a lot about the kinds of different books that they read or whatever, it helps to know that you're reading someone who has looked at a variety of perspectives and come to their view honestly. So again, consider their academics. Are they willing to admit when they're wrong? Do they subject themselves to admonishment or peer review? Do they have a team of experienced people checking and improving their work? So consider their academics, consider their answer, their tone and their teaching and their thought. Consider their aversion. Are they fair-minded or do they have that insatiable hobby horse that just drives you crazy like nails on a chalkboard? And consider their authority. Is it philosophy? Is it science? Or is it the Bible which then informs those things, philosophy and science? Those are questions that need to be answered in order to determine if who you're listening to is worth the effort. Now, again, look, I know that the subject matter assumes that I am a trustworthy expert. But again, check me against my own criteria here. I think about this in the same way as the Bible checks the prophecy versus, you know, the the person who put the prophecy out. They check whether the, fu the fulfillment happens. There 
is a degree of circular reasoning when you read the Bible. Yes, you read the Bible because it's God's word. Who says it's God's word? God says it's God's word. That's circular, but again, as we do more investigation, we find out that it is virtuously circular and not viciously. And I hope you can come to the same idea based on the biblical motivation of what I've given you here today. Hopefully, the criteria I lay out, if you judge me against it, you'll see that I'm someone who you can find trustworthy. I hope that's the case. Let me bust a huge myth as we close out. We're getting ready to wrap up. Notice something very important that was absent from the list. I hinted at this just a little bit in the very beginning. But notice something that was painfully absent from the list of questions and criteria that I gave you. Did you notice it? Complete agreement with your current view was not one of the criteria. Listening to only teachers who are in complete agreement with you is not one of the criteria. So get over that. That's a huge myth. Get over that. I'm not encouraging you to listen to heresy. Okay, that's not what I'm saying at all. But you are going to have people who disagree with you very um, legitimately. They're disagreeing with you within the context of Chris, Christian orthodoxy on something that you hold that they don't hold. That doesn't mean that everything that they teach is flawed. It just means that they disagree with you on a particular issue. Now, if it's big enough for you that you're just going to write them off, okay, fine, but that's not one of my criteria, and I don't think it should be one of yours either. So, if they shouldn't be listened to because their thought process is terrible, because they don't, because they don't carefully think about their view, maybe versus the view that you currently hold or whatever, there might be reasons within that to stop listening to them or to at least listen with a grain of salt. But don't stop listening or don't choose not to trust somebody just because they disagree with your view. That's a bad reason, and it will lead to never being able to learn anything new at all. Also, you don't always have to learn from, quote, experts, okay? You can learn from ordinary people, and I'm not going to spend any time on that in the podcast because we got to go ahead and wrap up, but I'm going to link you in the show notes to a post I wrote a while back, five ways, this is a blog post, five ways to learn from others every day of your life. It's a pretty short blog post, so you can consume it really quickly, but this will help you to get into those conversations with people specifically for the purpose of being able to learn something new from them. They don't have to be an expert. They just have to have some experience in life. You would be surprised what you could learn from people. So check that out. Again, don't forget about that handout, the expert evaluation checklist, nine questions to help you know if you can trust your expert. You can go right down this checklist so that you have it in front of you. And I'm going to give you that download. It'll be in the show notes. Go ahead and grab it completely free to you. Okay. Hey, uh, let's say a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for another week, Lord, to serve you and to live for you. Father, I pray you'd strengthen us. I pray that you would embolden us and empower us this year to be a greater witness for you, to draw closer to you, to fall more in love with you, Father, and with your word every day, to consistently converse with you. Father, we pray that you would give us the strength and the power to be the Christian that you would have us to be. Now, Father, I pray for guidance and direction, Lord, as we take what we've learned this week and apply it into our daily lives as we're trying to figure out those who we should trust with our time in learning about you. And Father, may we do that prayerfully. May we always remember, Lord, that the Spirit will guide us into all truth, Father, and we just humbly ask that you would help in our endeavor to be able to learn from the teachers that you have given us to teach the truths of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I do want to thank you again for joining us another week, for allowing me to speak into your life 
I, I really love that and appreciate that. And I hope you understand my motivation for doing a podcast episode like this. I just want to help you as you try to figure out, I mean, to, to wade through. There's so many teachers out there, so many good teachers out there. There are some not so good teachers out there, but there's so many good ones out there. And you just want to make sure that you're spending your time, the limited time that you have on this earth, to learn more about your creator. You need to be sure that you are spending your time wisely doing that. And so this that I have, this tool that I've created, this podcast episode that I've created for you here uh, today has been to that end. So I hope you find it helpful. I hope you find it useful. And we will see you next week right here on the Steve Schramm Show. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.